On Friday, my partner I and I went, uh, we're out in the woods. We, were, we went down Lake Mary Road to the trailhead for Sandy's Canyon. And at the end of the day, we were walking back really quite close to the trailhead there. And it was just, first of all, it's really such a beautiful day, an overcast day. And as we looked um, back out uh, towards the canyon through the Ponderosa Pines, it was just this, this beautiful and striking experience of the, of the moon just rising right there. And it was really such a powerful day the, to have uh, the solstice with such a moon. And, and it made me reflect that on that day, probably for thousands and thousands of years, you know, folks like us, our species, have, have been honoring that day, that day that marks this transition. You know, so it's such a, a, a powerful day to, to really take in, that the solstice, winter solstice, to mark change, to mark transition. And for me, it, it reminds me of these, these rituals that we can have to, to mark the, the changes, the flowing changes that happen in, in the world that we live, especially the natural world that we live. And this is what I want to share with you about uh, this evening, is about this quality, this quality of change or impermanence, which is such a founda foundational teaching that you find in most of Buddhism, especially in early Buddhism. And it fits into this teaching I've been sharing for the last few weeks. And some of you have been here for some of the teachings I've been offering. It's kind of this three-part series, and this is the third part of the series. And it's around uh, this teaching called the three characteristics, or these three, these three ways of seeing our experience that are so important. And the, the language I've been using is language I get from another Dharma teacher by the name of Ruth King. She says that experiences, it's, it's not permanent, it's not personal, and it's not perfect. Usually the, 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 it goes not permanent, not perfect, and not personal. And to really start to see that and understand that can be so freeing. And I began the series by talking about um, it's not perfect. And sometimes where I suffer is where I want things to be perfect. I want them to be perfect in my way. And I shared with you that week that one of the gateways I find to really starting to deeply understand that is to trace my disappointment. That disappointment can be such a, a learning tool that I can use when I feel disappointed. Oh, interesting. This isn't, this isn't fitting when I feel disappointed often. Maybe not always, but often it's because it's not fitting with the perfect world that I want. And then it's, uh, uh, last week I shared with you about it's not personal. The sense of when I take things personally, often there's more suffering that happens. And I shared with you this cartoon. Such a great cartoon, I had to share it one more time. Maybe some of you remembered it. So it's a picture of someone in, in the, um, a patient there. And then there's the doctor, and the doctor is holding a monkey that has symbols that you'd like play in a band. And the doctor says, we found this in your brain. <laughs> <laughs> this is great. <laughs> 
feels like that sometimes, right? Wow. And if I don't take it personally and I just see what, it's just, there's just a monkey there that's playing cymbals all the time. That's all it is. But once I take the next step is that it's me, then that goes down to there's something wrong with me. And then I don't like me. And it gets all complicated with all kinds of suffering. It's just a monkey in there. That's all it is. And tonight it's going to be the last one. As I said, it's not perfect, it's not personal, and it's not permanent. And I want to begin with a story that I, I feel offers an image of what it means to deeply understand impermanence, to actually live it. Not to intellectually understand it, but to, to allow it to move through our blood and our bones. Because it's not a difficult concept. I just want to point that out. Things change. It's not like <laughs> I'm not sharing something with you that's like philosophically nuanced. It is such a simple idea that we come, come across again and again and again. And if it was that easy, you wouldn't have to come here on Monday nights, right? The, the freedom would be so easy to, to get a taste of. So it's a, a, trying to get a different sense of impermanence, something more uh, uh, deeper into our, our bodies and our being. And I think this story exemplifies this. And it's a, it's a Taoist story, and uh, in the, the story, the story takes place next to this, this really huge river. And next to the river, Confucius is there with many of his students. And you have to remember, in many Taoist stories, Confucius does not turn out looking so well at the end of these stories. It's <laughs> the way stories go. And so there they are, right next to the, this, this really huge river. And uh, just beyond them, there's this very, very tall waterfall. And as they're sitting there looking at the river, they notice there's a woman in the river. And they start to panic because she's moving towards the waterfall. She's about ready to go over this massive waterfall. And they can't figure out what to do before she gets there. And then all of a sudden she disappears over the, the waterfall. And so Confucius asks his students to, um, to get down to the bottom of the waterfall as quickly as possible. And so when they finally get down to the bottom of the waterfall, she's already, she's already out and kind of drying herself off, singing. And there they are, Confucius now finally coming down there with the students, so stunned that she was able to survive such a journey. And so Confucius asks, asks her, what's up with this? Are, are you some kind of like celestial being? How did you survive this? Do you have a spe special way of, of swimming? And this is what she says. She says, no, I have no particular way. It became my nature to practice it and my success in it is now as sure as fate. I enter and go down with the water in the very center of its whirl and come up again with it when it whirls the other way. I follow the way of the water and do nothing contrary to it of myself. This is how I swim. To me, this is the image that I hold for myself of what it is to deeply understand impermanence, to understand it in a way that I can swim with it, that I can work with it, 
that my, my life is moving forward in harmony with it rather than fighting with it or bracing against it. And what I notice in my life when there's, where there is suffering in my life and I notice my mind is adding something to it, it's often because I'm fighting with impermanence in some way. I'm bracing against impermanence in some way. It's like I want impermanence, but I want it on my terms. Like I'm really for impermanence, <laughs> but I just want it on my terms. Like I want the unpleasant things to go away as quickly as possible, and I want the pleasant things to last as long as they can. But that's not the way the world works. Of course, I can shape and influence. You know, when it's cold, I can put on a jacket. I can, I can shape things. But there's so many things that are out of my control. And this is where this practice comes in so handily. And maybe that you see this in your mind where there's the, a pain or an emotion or that person or that situation. And you have that desire for them or that situation or that emotion to change now rather than when it's going to change. And then what happens from that? What I notice in my own life is, ouch, that hurts. Because then I'm, I'm fighting with impermanence. I'm bracing against it in some manner. So I just want to point out impermanence on my own terms. It's, it's different than a deep realization of impermanence that I'm talking about. The Zen master I practiced with put it well. He said, here I am. He'd say this sometimes when he'd give me a talk. He said, here I am up here and I'm selling a round trip tickets to heaven and hell and nobody wants to buy them. What was he getting at with that? Here, this is what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sell you round trip tickets to heaven and hell. Nobody wants to buy them. He's pointing out how we can fight with the unceasing flow of pleasant experiences and unpleasant experiences. And so often, I just want the ticket to heaven. I don't want the ticket to hell. I just want it to be nice all the time. I'm not interested in the round trip ticket. And of course, it can be opposite. Sometimes we just want to live a hellish life because of that kind of self-destructive tendency. But it's something different to actually be in the flow of what life is. And what is life? Life is the unfolding flow of pleasant experiences and unpleasant experiences. And even now, with all our technological advancements, there's still no way out of having a life that's going to be filled with both of those. That's just the way it is. That's just the river that you're in. That's just the waterfall you're going over. So the question is, is what do you do in the midst of that? You can fight against it, or you can be that, like that woman. What is it like to actually work with that, to swim along with that so there's still a responsivity? So it's not like just being kind of a... a a bump on a log, being able to respond rather than to fight or brace against.
And I think where this gets to be so difficult for me, and probably most of you can relate to this, is, um, is around one particular flavor of impermanence which can be so challenging to navigate, and that's the flavor of loss. If you reflect right now on the challenges that you've had in your life, I bet you many of them probably have some flavor of loss to them. Whether it be the loss of a person or a place or a relationship. It could be the loss of our health or a loss of a certain ability. The loss of our memory. It can also be a continuous loss, maybe, that you've felt the challenge of. Like the loss around health can feel like it's a continual thing. Or sometimes we lose that we have this kind of idea of this person that we wish to be, and it never happens, and it feels like we have to let go of that because we're holding this idea of this is who I should be, and then that breaks. And that can be painful. So it's not only about these tactile things. So often it can be around thoughts or fantasies that I have about myself or about the world. And this is going into kind of the things that we never had but really wanted to have. The loss of the fantasies that I hope for. So yes, impermanence and coming to terms with impermanence, being able to ride the flow of that, like that woman in the water, this is a big task for the spiritual path. And yet I want to also point out that just that fact that we lose things gives them their poignancy. It gives them a sense of preciousness in our life. The poet Liesel Mueller puts it well. She, she has this uh, poem where she really talks about this called In Passing that I want to share with you. She begins, How swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness, and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists, exists so that it can be lost and become precious. How swiftly the strained honey of afternoon light flows into darkness and the closed bud shrugs off its special mystery in order to break into blossom. As if what exists, exists so that, it could be, so that it can be lost and become precious. Have you noticed this when you really start to taste impermanence? Really understand that you feel that, like when the moon rises like it did just a few nights ago, it was precious because it was going to disappear. It disappeared behind the clouds. 
But that was what made it so touching and powerful and profound. And I think this is what also comes with this deep understanding of impermanence, is by noticing it, touching into it, the world becomes precious in a way that moves our heart. So how to come to terms with impermanence, how to start to really allow ourselves to embody this, like that woman who could go with the flow of, of the river. And in terms of the meditation, what we're trying to do is simply be aware of it, to feel into it, to feel the changing flow of experience. Just some examples of that. Like if you were to feel your hands right now, they might feel kind of warm or cool. You might feel a pulsation or vibration in your hands. But to notice, right, it just in the hands how there's a changing quality to your hands. There's a flowing quality there. That somehow the word hand doesn't really capture that whole experience that you're having right there. So something so simple like that helps us start to, to step out of the world of story and concept and to touch something deeper. Or the sound of this bell. So is that one sound or two sounds? Or are there three, th three sounds in there? Because the very beginning of that, when I strike it, that sounds very different than the middle of what's going on right then. And then the end is so different than the beginning. And do you notice, even in a moment of it, it can feel like there's different tones there. Do you hear a little bit of that? So how many sounds are there? One? Ten thousands? So I think the gateway into impermanence is to start to become suspicious of nouns in your life. <laughs> nouns are evil. <laughs> okay, that's a little bit extreme. I like nouns, I use them a lot. <laughs> But do you see how the word sound really is, is so deceptive? It's deceiving me. It doesn't allow me to touch that moment in its fullness. And yet, if you really start to reflect on how we live, we live only in the world of nouns. I mean, I like nouns. I'm not saying that you should stop using nouns. <laughs> but, if, but if I think that's what the world is that I live in, 
then I'm not touching impermanence. So are you starting to see also some of the problem is how the mind conceptualizes this world? Because I don't live here with the 10,000 sounds. Often we live in the world of description. I live in the world of, oh, oh, Brian just rung the bell. And then there's the sound of the bell. That's what's going on. And then we live in the kind of the descriptions of what's going on rather than the direct experience of it. So in meditation, this is the invitation to start to enter that world, the, the world of the feeling of your hands, the feeling of the breath, the sound or the sounds or the sounding of the bell. To start to touch that, because that's, that's, that's where I can learn how to swim with the flow of impermanence. I start to get that on a different level. And then when things pass away, it still might be a painful, unpleasant experience, but I'm, I'm close to it. I'm touching it. I'm not fighting it or bracing against it. And I also want to point out, I'm not proposing that when we lose things, it will all of a sudden stop being painful, but it might be a way of actually opening fully to that experience where I'm not resisting it in a way that's just creating more suffering for myself and others. Okay, so let's take a, a few minutes just to stretch and move around and then we'll begin to sit together. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.